You're listening to the Dogaritaville Podcast. I'm Laura. And I'm Lily. We are two dog professionals with two different styles, two different backgrounds, and two common goals. To drink delicious margaritas and talk about dogs. Welcome to Dogaritaville. Welcome to episode six of the Dogaritaville Podcast. Today we are talking about leash reactivity and drinking Halloween-themed margaritas, which I love because in real life right now, it's not even October, but I (laughs) like to celebrate Halloween and keep it all the year, and so I'm excited to get started. For every episode, each of us does our best to create a delicious margarita around our theme. We post the recipes on Instagram so you can try them at home, and you can let us know if you have any ideas for a theme. We'll keep you updated throughout the episode about how our drinks are. We have different ideas of what makes the best margarita, so our recipes always differ, giving you some variety. To kick off our episode about leash reactivity, let's start with the first thing first. What is leash reactivity? So for me, I define it as, and to be fair, I did Google search a definition as well. (laughs) (laughs) I just, you know, like to be accurate. When a dog feels frustrated, threatened, or defensive on leash towards some sort of stimulus or trigger and acts out. There's a huge variety in the degree of reactivity and a huge variety in the different stimulus that's triggering a dog. So leash reactivity is a really, really broad term. There are dogs that just whine and pull towards other dogs exclusively, and then there are also dogs that lunge, bark, snarl, flip in the air, (laughs) the whole nine, at anything from people to bikes to cars. No two reactive dogs are the same, so leash reactivity can encompass a lot, (laughs) a lot of different things. Yep, and then leash reactivity, just so we're staying as specific as possible, is when your dog is on leash, like Laura said at the beginning of her definition. So you could have a reactive dog off leash who maybe... The the reaction is exacerbated on leash, but they're reactive all the time. But then there are dogs who are not usually reactive to certain triggers, but on leash they are. Yeah, so that's a good point. Um, I mean, obviously a lot of people, their dogs are reactive at home, like to the front door or if they hear a noise outside, stuff like that. Uh, And while it's somewhat similar, it is different. So today we're just talking about on leash reactivity. There will probably be a lot of reactivity episodes. (laughs) Oh yeah, there definitely will be. So just as importantly as knowing what leash reactivity is, it's also helpful to know why it happens. So there's a lot of nuance around this because, like Laura said, every case is going to be different. There's no two reactive dogs that are the same. In general, though, being on leash is just weird for a dog. Like, I don't know if you've seen a dog approach a person or a dog off leash, like maybe at the dog park or in your yard or something. Most dogs approach from the side and they often approach and retreat and approach and retreat and approach and retreat kind of at their own pace until everybody's comfortable and then they use their body language to let everybody know that they're not threatening and they're also looking for that body language from others to tell them the same thing that's pretty general dog behavior there are dogs who are the exception like my dog mooney who really likes to beeline straight at the face of another dog which is not the norm and is very rude (laughs) Yeah, I think that's actually a really good point um, because especially dogs like Mooney, who you got when he was, what, 11 months? Yeah. So assuming, and who knows what happened before he came to you, but like 
the average person's lack of knowledge or understanding of dog language or social skills, they end up teaching dogs really unnatural and rude behaviors, especially with like puppies. Either they were not around other dogs to teach them not to do that, or the people always encourage something differently. Like, oh man, we just mess dogs up. <laughs> like, <laughs> especially puppies. Like, it's so easy to teach them the wrong thing or untrain the natural thing. And it's a little frustrating because then you end up with a dog like Mooney, who's fairly big and doesn't know how to appropriately greet other dogs. And not only that, but. He doesn't take cues from other dogs when they don't want to play either. So it's like just this perfect cocktail of like disastrous dog behavior. You're going to get your ass beat. (laughs) Yeah. Like he's the friendliest dog in the world, but will absolutely instigate 100 fights on accident. Well, and I think that's kind of how that happens, right? Like all the time I'm running into people or even clients that are like, oh, he's friendly. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. He's still rude as shit. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. No, I don't care that he's friendly. He's rude. And, like, he's going to start things. Yep, exactly. Um, so so being friendly is not really – that's not what I'm going for. This <laughs> I mean, is it like, is. But... It's a really good life lesson for impact versus intent because Mooney's intent yeah. is very good, but his impact is very, very bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it could be better. could be better. Um, so all that to say, when a dog is on a leash and tethered to us, their options for socializing the way that they want to are off the table. So that makes dogs pretty uncomfortable, especially if they are not well leash trained. So if they're already not comfortable being tethered to you, then they're going to be very uncomfortable when something that they're not able to approach the way they want to comes along. The most common reasons that I've seen that a dog will be reactive is he's frustrated that he can't approach the thing the way he wants to. Or he would prefer not to go near the thing at all, but we're not giving him an option because he's on a leash tethered to us and we're walking toward the thing. Yeah, so basically, like, frustration or fear, essentially. Yeah. Uh, That's kind of what I tell my clients is generally reactivity is either rooted in frustration or fear. It's pretty uncommon slash, I would say, never actual aggression. And that's not to say that if they're allowed access to the dog, they're not going to be aggressive. Right. Because that is a different thing. (laughs) But generally, truly aggressive dogs are very quiet. They're not screaming at you from across the street. They want you to come there so they can get you. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's definitely usually, in my experience, rooted in frustration or fear. Either they want to be big, loud, and scary so that you don't come anywhere near them, or they're frustrated because they want to go say hi, and they're basically yelling because (laughs) nobody will let them. Yep. But yeah, that would be the general definition of leash reactivity. But like like we talked about, every case is different. So it's super important to get a lot of information from every client. So we've been going back and forth on doing like some sort of Q&A episode. And it's really difficult because like Canine Aptitude... The po- we it's another podcast that we talk about all the time because we love it and it's really good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they do like question and answer type stuff all the time where listeners write in and they're like, oh, my dog does this. What do I do? And it's like, unless you're going to go back and say like, hey, answer these questions and then I'll, I'll podcast the answer. Right. Right. <laughs> but if you don't go back with questions like. How, how the hell could you possibly answer that? You have no idea. Like, 
for all you know, there's a, a hidden thing in the schedule that's like, oh, well, obviously, stop doing that and you solve your problem, <laughs> right? Right. Not that it's generally that easy. There's not generally like one thing like that, but it's just super important to get a history and all of that. So some of the things that I always make sure to ask, uh, one of the most important things that I always ask is what is the daily schedule? Do they walk every day? Do they never walk? Do they eat once a day? Do they eat twice a day? How do they eat? Do they get exercise beyond the backyard? (laughs) And what I'm evaluating here is just that their mental and physical needs are being met. Uh, A lot of the times, they aren't. (laughs) Uh, Plain and simple. (laughs) Definitely with reactive dogs, but even with, with other dogs too, like it's it's somewhat uncommon for a dog's mental and physical needs to be met because we're lazy and we get dogs for our own selfish reasons and we don't usually care what the dog wants or needs. So that's that's a big thing. If your dog is mentally frustrated and physically pent up, hell yeah, they're going to be reactive. <laughs> and generally, I mean, adding mental and, and exercising them isn't necessarily going to fix the issue because now it's just a learned behavior, but... It's a huge contributing factor. I actually had a client this morning that her dog gets plenty of physical exercise, but almost zero mental. Hmm. And so she's super smart and super frustrated. Yeah. (laughs) Some of the other questions that I ask are, what's their leash work like when there's not a trigger or stimulus around? If they can't walk on leash without a trigger then they're not going to walk on leash well with a trigger, right? (laughs) If your dog is dragging you all over the place, regardless of distractions, we have to start there. Leash work is a huge, huge part of reactivity training for me. Um, And then also something that I don't think is as important, but something that I just like to gauge is how social is the dog outside of leash work, right? Like, is it a newly adopted dog and you have no idea? Or do they have friends that they play with all the time, just not on leash? Because you see that quite a lot. Dogs go to the dog park every day, but when they're on their walks in their neighborhood, they go ballistic. Yeah. Or they live with five dogs, but if they see outside dogs, no. Right. (laughs) So just are they super social when they're not on leash? Have they ever met other dogs? Um, All of it kind of culminates into kind of their social skill level, right? Um, It's somewhat uncommon for like a super social stable dog to be reactive on leash usually that's not the case not to say it's never the case but (laughs) usually if they're pretty social and appropriate they're not going to be yelling at dogs on leash because they're used to being with dogs regularly so they're neither frustrated or afraid (laughs) yeah those are all good questions to ask i also like to ask uh, some extra questions so one of the questions that i'll ask is is there a specific handler that this dog is reactive with or is it with every handler? And the reason that I ask that is it tells you something if the dog is only reactive with certain people in the house. Usually what it tells me, and like maybe this is a stereotype that I won't leave in, we'll we'll see. But like usually what it tells <laughs> me is like when the man is walking the dog, he's being intimidating to the dog so it doesn't react, which will intensify its reaction when it's walking with someone else. Uh, I completely agree with that because almost every reactive dog reacts with the wife and not the husband. And she thinks that she's like doing something wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And I usually run into the problem of the husband is like, oh, well, I don't need to be involved in training because I don't have the problem. And it's like, 
holy mother of god <laughs> yep no offense husbands because <laughs> uh, <laughs> i mean i get what they're saying like they don't have an issue walking the dog so why would they need to do work but consistency is extremely important so if they want their wife to stop having issues they need to be involved and change what they're doing too yes yep but yeah i don't think that it necessarily i mean i guess it is kind of in a roundabout way but i don't think it's necessarily in the sense that the husband is intentionally being um what is the word that you used intimidating intimidating i think it's just more that men naturally are a lot more authoritative so even if they don't mean to be you know like we're both pretty sassy women (laughs) and but even still naturally like when we ask people for things and stuff like that we're kind of like uh, can we maybe do this? <laughs> yeah, we're like we're trained to mitigate our speech and our exactly. actions. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas men don't have that generally, and so they're more like, "Hey, you're gonna do this for me, Kay." Right. And so, and that I mean, when you approach a dog that way, <laughs> which one's gonna get a better response, right? So yeah, I don't think it's necessary, and, and a lot of times it is. I've had clients where yeah, the husband is is definitely intimidating intentionally because alpha theory, right? Mm. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's also more so just unintentional. The way that they interact with the world is a lot more authoritative. Sure, but yeah, it's super, super common. I would say a large portion of my reactive dogs are that way, where they only react with the wife and not the husband. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever seen it the other way around, to be honest. I have not. <laughs> I never have. But, yeah. So, like Laura said, like, that's not necessarily making a judgment on people. But I do want to see everybody walking the dog, if that's the case. Like, if, if the dog is reacting with everyone in the family, then as long as you can relay the information to the rest of your family, then I don't mind just working with one of you. But if the dog is acting different with different handlers in the family, I kind of want to see all of it. Because... It doesn't necessarily mean that some people are doing it right and some people are doing it wrong. Another question that I like to ask, uh, which I think is actually pretty much the same as what your question was about how social they are, is how does the dog feel about these triggers when he's not on his leash? That doesn't necessarily tell me that he's frustrated and not fearful because it could be once the leash is on, he does feel fearful, but it kind of gives me an idea of what we're working with anyways. Yeah, well, and I think that comes into play when we're not just talking about being reactive to other dogs, right? Yeah. Like, does your dog react to people on leash but also doesn't like visitors in the house? Because that's that's a big difference, right? Yeah. Most of my reactive dogs that are reactive to people on walks are actually fine with people, but for some reason it's just on walks. So, yeah, I think that's definitely a good question when we're not dealing exclusively with being reactive to other dogs, which is the most common i feel like yeah it at least has been for me Mm -hmm. and then another question that i like to ask is is there a discernible pattern to the reactivity so some people will have an answer right away like yeah it's every dog or every man in a hat or whatever it is but sometimes people feel like their dog suddenly explodes out of nowhere and so that's when we kind of get into needing to figure out what it is that's going on with this dog usually it's just trigger stacking but you know, sometimes you kind of need to go on a couple walks and observe what's going on. Yeah, trigger stacking uh, is something we actually don't have in the show notes and we probably should. (laughs) So trigger stacking, for those of you guys that don't know what that is, is basically when your dog hits one trigger and doesn't have enough time to fully recover and then hits another trigger and sometimes another and another. (laughs) Yeah. 
if they are never able to fully recover from one, it just waterfalls into worse and worse reactions to the point where they can't really recover. And that can be super problematic. I have clients run into that all the time. I have a good story about that you'll hear at the end. <laughs> but that does make it hard for the family because it's you, you can't really tell what's going on. But it's just like if you just think about like if you just have a terrible, terrible day and then you come home and your spouse says something a little a little off to you, but it's not really that big of a deal and you just lose your mind. Like <laughs> they're like, what? Like what? But you've had a terrible day. Like that's kind of how it is. That's literally who I am as a person. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard, too, because, like, I know around here, especially now that summer's finally over, I mean, people are out everywhere. Mm -hmm. So if their trigger is people are dogs, like, good luck. You're going to hit them all the time. Uh, Because around here, it's all suburbs, right? So it's like, or God forbid you live, like, in a downtown city area. What are you going to (laughs) do? Right, so that can get a lot more complicated. Uh, okay, so something that I noticed that neither of us wrote in the show notes, which I just kind of want to point out because I think it's interesting and I think people will find it interesting. Neither of us ever asked the question, how did this start? Or why is he reactive? And that's because people have te- people tend to have a lot of theories about why their dog is reactive. Like, for instance, you'll hear like, oh, he was charged by a dog once and that's why. Or... I don't know, whatever whatever else. I can't think of any yeah. other examples right now. Um, <laughs> but the fact is, it's it's hard to pinpoint exactly what causes discomfort with a trigger. And sometimes nothing caused it. Like, sometimes your dog just doesn't like that thing. And so it's kind of a waste of time to try to figure it out because you might not always be right. And we just kind of need to assess with what we know for sure. I would say you're almost never right in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's a big, big point because... I have my clients ask that all the time and they they feel like finding out why is somehow going to solve the problem. It's not. I mean, you're you're still here. They're still reactive. I mean, we can't go back and and stop that from happening. <laughs> so I just I try not to let people get hung up on that and I try to just tell them it's either fear or frustration and then once I work with them I can usually figure out which, right? that's what you need to be worried about, right? Like, what's it rooted in, but not why it's rooted in that, right? Like, that's not getting you anywhere. There's a little bit of information for you about what leash reactivity is and why it happens. We're going to take a little break here, and when we get back, we are going to talk to you about our approaches to leash reactive clients. Margarita check. Laura, how did you make your Halloween margarita? I did two ounces of tequila, one ounce of triple sec. I messed with the levels a little bit. So when I was trying this out, I did a little bit more lime and a little bit less orange. So today I just did half of a juice limed and an entire juiced orange. And it's much better. (laughs) It's so good. And then a teaspoon of agave, and that's it. Oh, and a little bit of orange food coloring for theme. (laughs) (laughs) It wasn't orange enough. It just looked like orange juice. And I was like, I swear it's not a screwdriver. (laughs) Well, for mine, I went a little bit crazy. You really did. You totally showed me up. Yeah, as usual. So I used uh, an ounce and a half of tequila, two juiced limes, three quarters ounce triple sec, 
And so basically just a regular margarita. Oh, I put agave in it. I didn't put that in the show notes just to taste. I don't know how much I put in. And then I put some green food coloring in that. So it looked nice and bright green. And then I put an ounce and a half, I think-ish, of red wine as a float on the top so that it looked pretty. But unfortunately, (laughs) it didn't look very pretty in the picture. Are you kidding? Well, the one that I'm posting on Instagram doesn't have the wine float on it because the wine float made the green not very bright. And then I rimmed my glass in the blood of my enemies. <laughs> so I tr- I wanted to, after you sent me the picture of yours and I felt like a schmuck, I went to go get the food dye. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll get some like purple um, sprinkles or something to to rim it even though i hate rims but i just i felt inferior and and they literally they had like red green and pink sprinkles and that was it at target and i was very annoyed i almost did green so i was like well green and orange is kind of but it was like a forest green and it just i didn't do it (laughs) and i'm still mad about it it was like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Anyways, how is yours? Is it delightful? Yeah, I like it. I feel like the red wine on top gives it the sangria margarita vibes, and I respect it wholeheartedly. Yeah. I I just couldn't really think of like how to make it Halloween-y without just making it colorful, you know? Yeah, I did. I mean... I did extensive research on Halloween margarita recipes, and this was the best I could do. So (laughs) everything else was pretty much just, like you said, a basic margarita with, like, food dye or something. Yeah. Uh, What did you make the... I mean, I know it's the blood of your enemies, but (laughs) (laughs) it's food coloring and what? Agave? No, it's, um, it's blackberry syrup that I made myself. Oh, right, right, right. Oh yeah, god damn, you really had you well, didn't you had too much time on your hands without those puppies. I really did not do a good job on the blackberry syrup because I <laughs> I can't even tell you how this happened. I don't know how it happened, but I I got about a quarter pound of blackberries and the recipe that I was looking at was for a pound of blackberries and so I was like, okay, I'll quarter everything. And I legitimately thought that I did. Like I thought that I did the math to like quarter everything, and it turns out that I put all the same water and sugar that you're supposed to put in for a full pound of blackberries so this just tastes like sugar (laughs) nothing wrong with that Uh, i guess for you because you don't even like sweet things but but when i messed it all up that's when i decided to change it out for the blood of my enemies so (laughs) (laughs) oh speaking of the blood of our enemies did (laughs) did we do the disclaimer about uh bonkers and boppers no oh (laughs) so was it our first episode or our second episode must have been our second our second um i got very i was gonna say irrationally angry but it's not irrational it's very rational (laughs) i got very angry when we talked about boppers uh which refresher course is a rolled up paper uh rolled up towel that you 
throw at your dog's face. We were, we were, mis- well, we, I was mistaken. They are not called boppers. They are called bonkers. So we would like to offer our very, very sincerest non-apology about misrepresenting bonkers as boppers. We are very, very not sorry. And we hope that you do not forgive us because we hate you. <laughs> I mean, I try to be a nice person, and I try not to be petty, but goddamn. <sighs> yeah. Anyways, okay. So there's that. Uh, moving on, moving on. Uh, <laughs> so a bit about how I approach leash reactivity. First and foremost, we always start with in-home boundaries and obedience, and then move on to leash work. So... For most dogs, and again, every dog is different, every client is different, so it just depends. But for most dogs, this usually looks like doing sit-stays with eye contact for food, to go in and out doorways, stuff like that. And then building our leash work so that they are doing better leash... (laughs) (laughs) Building their leash work so that they're a little bit closer to a heel... Normally, as long as they're not pulling, I don't really worry about a heel. But for reactive dogs especially, I've found heels to be one of the most impactful tools that we have. If your dog's out of control on leash, regardless of their surroundings, we're certainly not going to gain control with a trigger present, right? So we have to get them under control and with good leash work regardless of distractions. Similarly, if your dog does whatever it wants in the house and doesn't ever listen to you, It's not going to magically start listening to you outside or when you have people over or stuff like that. So just building that kind of foundation of basic obedience, basically skills, that sort of thing. Uh, And once we go through all that, which can, depending on the client, take some time, then I start working on positioning. For some god-awful reason, every person on the face of the planet thinks that their dog needs to walk on the left-hand side. (laughs) are you going to Westminster later like yeah right (laughs) and that's what I tell people I'm like so the reason that like myth exists that should have been a myth on our myth episode we'll have many many more yeah right the reason that myth exists is because if you're doing any sort of competition whether it's competition obedience or agility or any of that stuff then yes it is regulation your dog has to be on the left side since I don't know anyone that does any of that shit (laughs) it's not a thing (laughs) Like, your dog walks wherever, what whatever side you put it on, right? So one of two things. Either I have clients that have trained their dogs. Can I help you? <laughs> um, either. <laughs> just give me a big smile. Um, either they've trained them to walk on the left so much that we can't get them to walk on the right. Or they're so used to zigzagging or walking out in front. That it's hard to teach them that like, hey, whatever side I put you on is the side that you stay on. And positioning is just incredibly important because obviously if there's a dog or whatever trigger on our left, then our dog's going to stay on our right so that I'm in between it and the trigger. So positioning is super, super important because I don't want to fight with them on leash. So I would much rather just body block them. And I don't mean physically like checking them in any way. (laughs) I just mean like your physical presence is blocking them. 
And then we just slowly start adding triggers and figuring out kind of what their threshold is. Um, sometimes that's, you know, 100 yards, 50 yards, 20 yards. <laughs> sometimes they need a visual barrier, things like that. So um, that's kind of where we start. And then once we figure out what the threshold is, we just gradually press it, and press it, and press it until it gets less and less and less. Um, so I approach things pretty similarly. Obviously, the first step is the assessment, like we talked about in our first segment. I get as much info as I can. Uh, then we start working on loose leash walking, exactly the reason that Laura said. I don't often walk into a session with a reactive dog and then just start working on reactivity because a really important piece of this is that the dog knows how to walk nicely on a leash and he's comfortable generally being tethered to you. It's not going to solve all the problems, although sometimes it does, <laughs> but it will at the very least make them easier to work with. Just again, for all the reasons Laura said, I don't need to repeat all of them. I also do generally work on boundaries in the home, like Laura said, but that is almost always part of my first session, regardless of the issue. So I don't think of it as specific to leash reactivity. I just do it all the time. So when I think about leash work, for me, it's not just loose leash walking, although that's very important, but it's also being able to be calm on the walk. So we work on staying calm through every step of getting ready to leave the house, getting leashed up, going out the door, going down the driveway, literally every step, because it's so much easier for the dog to react if his energy is already high. And then once all of that is done, then we start working with triggers. So the most common reactive dog that I've had has been reactive to other dogs. So at this point, usually I bring my dog Balto over. And then, like Laura said, we find the threshold. So the threshold is the distance at which you're away from the trigger where your dog can acknowledge it but not react to it. And sometimes threshold also involves distraction, which is why I bring Balto first and not Mooney. Because Balto is like the 100 level course. Like he literally never makes eye contact. He doesn't even acknowledge that the other dog exists, doesn't make any sudden movements, just lays down on the ground and gets petted. And so he's a very easy dog to not react to relatively. Whereas Mooney is what I call the 500 level course <laughs> where he is always doing something. <laughs> and it's a lot harder to not react to. And so that's why I usually start with Balto so that we can stay under threshold a lot more easily. And then we just work on letting the dog make choices. So I think that this is where Laura and I deviate a little bit. So real quick, before you move on from that, yeah. is there a reason that you use Balto opposed to just going for like a real life walk where you're going to run into dogs? Um, Just so I can control the situation and make sure that there's a dog we're going to run into. Okay. That's what I thought. I'm like, I always joke that I'm cursed because every reactive client I have, like without fail, we'll go on the first walk ever where we just don't run into any dogs. And they're like, I've never had that happen before. And I'm like, uh-huh, <laughs> it's my presence. Yep. I don't know what I'm going to do when he moves on to his next life because I'm, yeah, I'm going to have to start finding places where we can see dogs because Mooney's just not going to yeah, be that's, the one. I mean, that's literally because I used to do the same thing and then Peter and Churchill retired and... uh noble flunked out <laughs> so now uh so now we have to be real <laughs> i keep thinking about that though i'm like maybe maybe one day i will get a puppy and actually train it to be a test dog because <laughs> not having a test dog fucking sucks i can imagine that it would i feel really lucky to have balto 
So at that point, Balto is standing as far away as he needs to. Usually my husband comes with me on these, so he'll like stand with Balto a certain amount of feet away. And then I just kind of let the reactive dog decide where it wants to go, unless it wants to charge straight at Balto. That 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 we will not do. <laughs> but like pretty much whatever <laughs> else it wants to do, if it wants to like go sniff something or kind of like walk around or maybe approach and retreat, we'll kind of do that kind of thing. Um, but as soon as the dog starts doing things like steering hard or kind of getting low to the ground or like beelining, then that's when we're turning around and not doing that. Recently, I've started using food. I had never used food before just for an engage-disengage game, which I don't know if we'll have time in this episode to talk about it, but it's just a really simple like you look at that trigger and don't bark and you get a treat for that. Good job. Where, where treats get a little dicey on reactivity sessions is a lot of the time, if you're not really under threshold, your dog will take a treat, but be like hard staring at the other dog still. And so like, you're not getting any work done at that point. So you have to make sure that you know wh- what you're doing <laughs> before you start yeah. bringing treats to the sessions. Is there a reason for letting the dog do what it wants? Doesn't that, so you don't use a heel at all? Not, not at this point. Once we're working on, like, actually walking past it, then we'll do the positioning. Oh, so you just mean it gets to do what it wants in the beginning while you're testing it? I don't. Have you had a chance to read Bat 2.0 yet? No, I bought it, but I haven't had time to do anything. <laughs> so, um, my fir- I mean, I think most, like, if you took the percentage of reactivity sessions that I've done, I have mostly done, like, what you taught me how to do. And, but I started using Bat after I read it. And she's just a lot more choice-based. I, I can't explain it as well as she can. So just... Yeah, I'll be interested to read it. Yeah. Yeah, I just... For me, if the dog's making its own choices, it's obviously going to choose to react. So I try to do more of like a working walk with free time when it's warranted. But I get what you're saying. I'll read the book and then we can discuss again. <laughs> yeah, definitely do. And th- like this is... This is under threshold. So, like, we're not at reacting distance yet. We're at acknowledgement distance. Okay. Oh, yeah. okay. That makes more sense. That's yep. a big distinction. And okay. then and then if the dog, like, wants to calmly close the gap and, like, take us closer to it without beelining or making hard stairs or whatever it is, then we'll do that. But at the point where they are starting to get over threshold, then we move back. But otherwise, I just kind of let them guide the walk. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and then the other important thing that I like to keep in mind and that a lot of clients, it's just counterintuitive to people is that I make sure that we're always keeping the dog moving. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people and, and actually when I first got Mooney, this was my instinct too, was, um, well, I'll just get him to sit while all these things pass. And now when I think about that, I feel like I was (laughs) insane. Like, I don't, why is that ever, I thought it was like a myth that people were saying, but it's not, it's just everybody's instincts. Yep. And I and I think that it's almost like a point of pride too. Like, look how restrained my dog can be. Uh, yeah, yeah. He can be obedient in a high threshold. Yep. Yeah. Um. And Love so that. that is the instinct. Apparently, most of the time is to have your dog sit while other things pass. But that's pretty much the worst thing we can do for a dog who's already reactive because he's already not comfortable around that thing, and now we're just kind of making him sit there and take it. Well, yeah, that's what I try to explain to people, too, because almost every reactive client, when I like when we get there, that's usually what they've been doing with varying degrees of success. Sometimes it works, honestly, <laughs> to at least some degree. But kind of what I always tell them is, you know, yeah, physically they're sitting there, but mentally they're still, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God. And yeah. they're still fixating and they're still the, it, like um, 
how did you say it in one of the episodes? The internal response hasn't changed at all, right? right? So it's it's a little bit more like aversive training where it's like, yeah, outwardly, <laughs> they might be doing a little bit better. Inwardly, they're almost doing worse. Yeah. Yep. And then I recently learned, I think that this might have been on the Canine Aptitude podcast that I learned this, but I recently learned that when uh, when any creature in general goes into fight or flight mode, their blood rushes to their limbs so that they can easily make an escape. And so it's on a physiological level. Also, just we should keep them moving because they're wanting to move their limbs. All right. So that's how each of us approaches leash reactivity with clients. Next, we are going to go into some individual stories about some of our clients. Final margarita check. How is yours? It sounds delightful because it reminds me of sangria margarita, but how do you feel about it? Yeah, I feel good about it. I didn't know how I would feel about the wine float, but it's actually pretty pleasant. Seems delightful. <laughs> Mine, I was a little worried. My one that I my test run yesterday was okay. Like, it was good. Uh, and I was like, all right, cool. But the one that I made today is just freaking delicious. <laughs> so I think I already said, but I just lessened the lime and up the orange. Yeah, the juice of the whole orange is no joke. That's a lot of juice. Yeah, and it's so good. It tastes... A little bit like orange soda, almost. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I like it. I could dig it. I would. I don't think I would do anything differently. Obviously, I wouldn't put food dye in it. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I don't. I'm trying to think of what else I could try, but I don't think I would change anything. It's it's a delight. So at the beginning of the episode, we mentioned that every case is going to be at least a little bit different. So we just wanted to give you guys some real life examples to illustrate that i have just so many examples (laughs) um a lot of my clients are reactive so i kind of put them a little bit in order of like best to worst uh, for lack of a better term so i've had dogs where people hire me and they're like oh my dog's really reactive and then i show up and they're like their dog pulls and like whimpers <laughs> and I'm like um this 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 is their reactivity yeah and it's like oh oh okay <laughs> which I get like that's not an acceptable behavior I'm not saying that's okay it's just not what I'm expecting <laughs> when right. I show up to a reactive dog right yeah so probably the best reactive dog that I've had or one of them at least was a little black pity mix named Gus. I call him Gus Gus because anybody named Gus, I have to call Gus Gus. Of course. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he was just crazy. Like, he was kind of one of those dogs whose, like, mental and physical just wasn't being uh, satiated. And so he was a little squirrely. (laughs) And I actually got hired not for his reactivity, but because he was getting into fights with his brother. And so part of that was starting to walk them which brought up his other issue of leash reactivity. And given their dad is, he's a volunteer with the local shelter and he's just, he's volunteered with animals and fostered and stuff like that. So he knows what he's doing. So that definitely helps. Oh, is this, but, is this the guy I met when I was in town? Oh yeah, I forgot that you met. Yeah, uh, Kevin. But so Gus Gus was cool because 
one, like, as soon as we got him what he needed mentally and physically, him and his brother, like, were cool again. But as far as his leash reactivity goes, it was kind of crazy. Like, his leash work wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. And it took us, like, one or two sessions to get his leash work on par. And, like, one session of his leash work being on par, his reactivity was, like, borderline completely gone. It was the most bananas thing I've ever seen. I can't even really take credit for it because I'm like, what, dude? (laughs) (laughs) We just, we showed him what's up and he was like, all right, cool. Got it. So that was a really cool case just because it was like super, super simple and, and like really successful, obviously, which isn't always the case with reactivity dogs uh, because it's a lot of work and a lot of the times people don't want to do it. But, and then the... One of my other clients uh, was a black lab named Dallas. I guess I should consider, like, changing these people's names. I don't know. Uh, (laughs) I'm keeping all mine the same, but it's because I know these clients wouldn't care. I mean, I'm not saying anything bad. If I talk shit, I'll change your name. (laughs) But it was a black lab named Dallas. And she's super friendly, went to daycare, blah, blah, blah. And I don't remember what the catalyst was. I want to say there was some sort of incident and then she started being leash reactive. The problem is that her mom got a ton of anxiety from her leash reactivity. So it was almost her mom was creating more of a, of a reaction than anything. And so it was, it was honestly our sessions were more like teaching her mom the skills to control her a little bit more on leash. Because she is always, I mean, she's a black lab. She's a very stereotypical like... I love everyone. No big deal. I'm going to do what I want. But then when she started having leash reactivity, it was like, no, we got to control you a little bit more. And she was like, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we, her reactions weren't huge. Sometimes she would have bigger ones where she would like lunge and snarl. But for the most part, they were just like pulling or barking or something a little bit more minor. But her mom was stressing out so much about it that one, they would get bigger. And then two, it was a bigger deal when they would happen, even if they weren't particularly large reactions. But we spent so much time on leash work because her leash work was just like typical, oh, I've been walking this way my whole life. It's my, it's my right. And it's like, no, no, (laughs) I'm telling you, we're not going to, we're not going to walk that way anymore and you need to pay attention. (laughs) And she did not like that at all. (laughs) Um, So we spent a ton of time on leash work and that kind of got her reactivity a little bit better. I don't think we ever really finished her her reactivity got a lot better and her mom got a lot better at handling her but i think we kind of i think those sessions just kind of petered out and we never really like finished it finished it but she would i mean we had more or less solved the problem but it wasn't like okay we're done (laughs) and then bravos was a cool dog that i worked with because he was really severely reactive specifically to dogs and he would have huge explosions And we actually got him to the point where he did not react at all anymore. And to the point where we started doing like actual socializing. The socializing didn't go as well, but the reactivity we completely knocked out. And it was awesome because this was a dog. I mean, we spent months and months getting that reactivity to go away. (laughs) So it was just really a huge accomplishment when it finally did. But yeah, Bravo's reactions were huge. I mean, he would see a dog from a huge distance and immediately just lock in. And if you couldn't create a good, like, 30 feet plus of space, he was going to go absolutely ballistic. Like, lunging, spinning, just... And he's a big guy. Like, he's he's got to be 
70 pounds plus. And so his reactions were huge. And to get them just completely knocked out was pretty crazy. Yeah. And then some of my current clients, I have a couple really, really tough reactivity dogs right now. So I have Bubbles actually this week. Bubbles is severely reactive to everything, (laughs) but especially dogs. And she's a little like pint-sized pity. And she will flip in the air. She will... Uh, we're, we're trying to figure out if she'll redirect on her dad or not. Uh, there's been a couple times where we're like, was that a redirection or did her mouth just kind of hit us on accident? <laughs> right. <laughs> and her explosions are mad, like full blown, like yodeling, screaming, flipping in the air, like. Wow. Just bucking Bronco, just nutball. She's she's getting better. But when your reactivity is that big to so many triggers, it's really hard. Yeah. <laughs> And her dad is working his ass off. Like, her dad's super dedicated. He's super cool about it, too. Like, he doesn't get stressed out, which is my favorite part because it makes it so easy to work with. Is he's just like, yeah, she had a big explosion, and then we moved on, and but we did this good. And it's like, what? <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> Whereas I feel like most people are like, God, we're just never going to make progress. And so she, we've gotten her to the point where her vocalizing is much less she's generally not screaming anymore (laughs) (laughs) but she will still bark and growl a little bit she's gotten to the point where she can pass dogs that are behind gates like in their backyard uh, which before she couldn't at all Uh, so she got she got there and now it's mostly dogs on leash that she can see out on walks And her vocalization is starting to go away there, which I feel like is always, like, the first part, right? (laughs) And so now we've got her vocalization almost almost under control, uh, and now we just really need to start working on her leash work, because she's, like, trying to drag her dad all over uh, to an alarming degree. (laughs) So she's one of my harder cases right now, and we're making progress, but like I said, when you're when your reactions are that intense, it's the progress is slow. Yeah. <laughs> it's slow and it's a little bit minimal. So, uh, I mean, we've both gotten frustrated, me and her dad, about like, oh, man, she's still really reactive. And it's like, yeah, but she's not reactive to dogs behind gates anymore, which before, like, she didn't even have to see them behind the gate. She could just hear them. Yeah. And now it's like she can walk right past, not like barely a look. So that's huge, even though her other reactions are still massive. It's like, we're, we're getting there. <laughs> Slowly but surely. You just have to keep reminding yourself. And she does have successful encounters where she can pass a dog from, like, across the street sometimes now. Not always, but sometimes. <laughs> so we are making progress. It's just frustrating, right? Yeah. So she's one of my clients now. One of my harder clients right now that I had this week... <sighs> gypsy i love her she's the cutest little blue pity and (laughs) she's so frustrating she needs a lot of work on like obedience and impulse control so we're trying to do that in the house as well and her mom walks her on a gentle leader otherwise otherwise she just literally could not walk her and so she walks pretty well her leash works on point for the most part but she is reactive to everything to loud cars to bicyclists to people to especially to dogs like 
So our session last week, I almost walked out. (laughs) (laughs) I literally just almost threw in the towel and was like, I'm leaving. (laughs) Because... So we're walking the neighborhood. Uh, Her neighborhood's kind of quiet, so we don't run into very much. So we started taking her to the park, and we saw huge progress because obviously there's dogs all over at the park. And as long as we maintain her thresholds, she does shockingly well. And so this week, we're walking the neighborhood, and no joke, I literally am, am making jokes about how... We can't walk the neighborhood because nothing ever happens. <laughs> and I should have known. I should have known as soon as I said it that I was cursing us. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we turned the corner. We're walking down the street. And a, like, shuttle bus comes by. And that's a, uh, that's a big trigger for her. So she she triggers and she starts... She's pretty under control because she's on the gentle leader and she doesn't vocalize that much, but she literally stands on her back legs and like spins off the gentle leader. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so it's really hard to even keep her moving because she's like on her back legs instantly. And then she's like trying to flip. And so it's like, you're trying not to hurt her, but you're also trying to keep her moving. (laughs) And it's just, it's a lot. So I have a question about this. Mm Mm-hmm. So you said her mom, like, can't walk her without the gentle leader. I mean, is she leash trained enough to start working reasonably on reactivity? Like, if she can't be walked with anything except the gentle leader? Well, so the thing is, is that it would take us months to leash train this dog. So, one, nobody wants to spend that time. Sure. And with this dog in particular, like, she has no impulse control. So, one, being able to leash train her without hitting distractions and getting in. And her mom's a little bit older. so Got it. So, one, even if we did leash train her and just by chance something went wrong and she did get reactive, like, multiple people are getting injured in that scenario. I mean, she throws her whole body into her reactions. Yeah. So, I have her on a backup collar with the gentle leader, of course, too. She's a freaking powerhouse. So, yeah, I would probably never recommend her to not be in some sort of a, 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 some sort of like a shortcut tool like that. But, yeah, so we hit a shuttle bus. She reacted. We got her to calm down. And then we got, well, we didn't get her to fully calm down because shortly after the shuttle bus, a big group of teenagers is walking straight for us. Which she's not very reactive to people, but like a big group like that of teens that are jumping around and being dumb. That's going to set her off for sure. Right. So I'm like, all right, we got to. And she's still trying to recover from the shuttle bus. So I'm like, we got to get across the street before we hit these kids. So then we have to run across the street without like a crosswalk or anything. (laughs) And then we're still getting her to calm down from the shuttle and the teenagers. And then all of a sudden this huge off-leash yellow lab is running down the opposite side from us. And this, I mean, this is a big lab. That lab had to be 100 pounds. And just running with reckless abandon. Like, I didn't even see the people at first. It's just off leash and running. And we're across the street. So I'm like, all right, well, at least there's two of us. (laughs) And then finally, I see the owners 40 yards behind it. And so we're trying to turn the corner, the next corner, before they get too close. We turn the corner and there's a little dog heading straight for us. (laughs) 
Oh my god! So like yeah, everything dude. is oh, going wrong. No, this isn't even. This isn't even the end. Oh good. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, I'm like, we got to hurry up and turn around because this little dog is is you know 20 yards away. And so as soon as we turn around, now the yellow lab is directly across the street from us. They've caught up. We're both on the corner, and their dog's off leash. The dog just runs out into the fucking intersection. Oh my god! And the people are just standing there, like what? Luckily, it wasn't it wasn't acknowledging us. Or it wasn't coming for us, but it just runs out into fucking traffic. Can you imagine? Oh my god! Like, why do I care more about your dog's life than you do? I don't understand. Anyways, so at that point, her mom loses it. I lose it. She's yelling at these people, and I'm just like, "This little dog is gonna catch up to us." I just grab her from her mom, and I just take <laughs> off because I'm like, "We got to get out of this situation." <laughs> so at this point. Me and our mom are both just losing it because it's like the fifth trigger in a row. We're trapped. <laughs> I And I, I straight up told her, I was like, honestly, you're handling this better than me or your mom. <laughs> because at that point, she wasn't like she was triggering, but she wasn't full blown reacting anymore. I think probably because we were reacting. <laughs> she was like, they, they've got it taken care of. <laughs> but her mom just kind of like froze and was yelling at the people with the lab because their dog's running in traffic. And I'm like, bro, we got to go. And so I book it. And of course, it's uphill the other way. I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> so I start booking it up the hill. And once I get far enough up the hill, I wait. Uh, her mom catches up. And we stand there for a second just trying to, like, breathe because we're both just like. (gasps) I'm like, all right, we're going to cross the street again and and try to just get home. We're just trying to get home at this point. (laughs) And sure enough, another off-leash yellow lab car. A different one. one? Yes, yes. Luckily, this one was well-trained, didn't look at us, stayed right by its dad, and then went on its on its way. Uh, and I want to say, oh, then there was a FedEx truck. So she started to react again. Jesus. <laughs> there was just so many triggers. It was just bonkers. And then finally, after like the eighth trigger, we were able to start going back down the street, got back in the neighborhood, and we didn't have another incident. But we were all three just so exhausted. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so all of that to say that, like, obviously, some reactivity is much more severe than others. And the more severe it is, obviously, the more time and skill that it takes to get through. Right. So Gypsy is is very severely reactive. But that session doesn't demonstrate that like oh it's not working no she's gotten significantly better and even in that episode like i said me and her mom were the ones that lost it (laughs) unfortunately (laughs) that doesn't normally happen but i also don't normally get trapped between eight different triggers so (laughs) but even her mom said afterwards when we all finally calmed down she was like you know honestly she still that was still way better (laughs) despite it all But it's like, one, that's a really good example of trigger stacking. And then two, just because you have a bad day or a bad incident doesn't mean the training's not working, right? Right. Like, just because I have a bad day doesn't mean I'm a bad person, right? (laughs) Right? So that incident that you had, like, reminds me of a good point. I mean, I don't know. But if you are working with a reactive dog with a trainer and and you have an incident like that, like, sometimes, I I mean, we like to, to work because... 
that makes us feel productive. But sometimes after that, like not working for a few days is what your dog needs. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So don't feel like you have to get right back out there and keep trying. Like take a break and let your dog take a break. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Gypsy was dog ass tired when we got <laughs> I felt so bad. Yeah, I love Gypsy, um, but she's definitely a more severe reactivity case. Uh, and she's getting better. It's just it's honestly just going to take time and keep working on it and hopefully never having that happen again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, bananas. So I've also written down a list of clients to kind of illustrate how differently a reactive training session can go. So the first one that I can think of is Piper. And she was reactive to pretty much everything in the world when I first showed up. <laughs> but it was one of those things where like after we went worked on loose leash walking, most of the leash reactivity went away and so then it was mostly reactivity in her house that we needed to work on so that one was a pretty easy leash reactivity session like we just kind of taught her how to walk nicely and i think that she just felt a little more comfortable on the leash at that point and so it wasn't a necessity to freak out when she saw various things roca and ruger were really similar so roca and ruger they lived kind of out in the country this was when i lived in washington it was in maple valley Nobody probably lives in Washington who's listening to this, so it doesn't matter where they lived. But they they lived, like, in a rural area. And so they just never had to be on their leashes. Like, they were always off-leash in their giant property and having a blast. And so when their parents had to leash them up to go, I think it was to the vet, they had to go to the vet and absolutely had a meltdown. <laughs> and so they were like, oh, I guess my dog is leash reactive. And so... And that was another case where we just taught them how to walk nicely on the leash. And we went on a walk through their neighborhood and we were approaching this yard that had three barking dogs at the fence. And I was like, okay, we're going to need a lot of distance from this. They were 100% fine. Like it was just like once they kind of learned how to walk on a leash and like get comfortable with that, everything was fine. So those were some of my clients who were pretty easy leash reactivity wise. Then we get to Vlad and Misha. So I love talking about Vlad and Misha because their story is really interesting. They are litter mates who did not grow up together, but ended up living together. I never knew that. Yeah. The family adopted Misha and then Vlad was adopted by someone else who didn't do good things for him and um, then eventually gave him up. That was a very nice way to say that. (laughs) And I think he was about four or five years old when Misha's family adopted him and he came to live with them. And so they were litter mates but didn't grow up together. So they got to pass that whole litter mate syndrome issue. But I like to talk about this because they are litter mates and they live in the same house, but they needed such different work with their leash reactivity. Vlad, so these were both Belgian mouths, by the way. So these are intense working dogs, like crazy smart, crazy energetic dogs. Vlad literally just didn't know what to do. And it was like once we started putting boundaries in the home, it was like everything clicked into place for him because he was not only least reactive, he had a lot of things going on. And once there were just boundaries in place, it was like he could breathe. It was like he just knew what the world was now and it was exciting for him. And so when we were walking on leash he was like okay so I walk next to my person and when I see a thing I look at my dad and that's fun like he had a job to do and Misha (laughs) was perfect before I got there (laughs) aside from leash reactivity she she was leash reactive but like she was 
absolutely perfect. And then once we started adding boundaries to the home, she was like, ooh, um, hard pass. Like, we're not doing this. <laughs> and so we had to work with her totally differently. But her least reactivity was definitely rooted in frustration. She wanted to greet every dog. And so for her, it was more like showing her that she could greet my dogs if she approached them on a loose leash. And then we also had to practice passing other dogs because obviously you're not going to greet other dogs on a walk. Yeah. Please don't. If you do currently, stop. <laughs> <laughs> or at the vet's office for that matter. Yeah. Or yes, anywhere. <laughs> anywhere. So... Yeah, I just think that that's so funny. They were like, they're litter mates. They're in the same house, in the same environment, same parents, same schedule, same routine, but like just vastly different dogs who needed different things. And then the last one that I wrote down. Oh, you know, I should say how that ended because it's really cool. So Vlad and Misha both had like pretty scary reactivity just because of the kinds of dogs that they are. Like you don't really want to see a Belgian male barking at you or growling or lunging or any of that stuff. By the end of our time working together, they were able to go on a walk with me and my two dogs and everyone was comfortable and happy. And I love that story. Oh, we got to use that photo though because it's so cute. Of the four of them walking? Yeah. I love that photo and hate that photo because like we were trying to get a good picture so we just all let them out in front of us. And so it's just like four dogs who look like they're pulling us down the road. (laughs) It's, I don't even care. It's the cutest fucking thing. (laughs) Do you think any of... Their their issues were rooted in them being working dogs that didn't have a job, like their physical and mental needs being met. Yeah, yeah. This was a very active family, so they they definitely needed to add a lot of mental work. They were doing really good on physical, but needed to add a lot of mental work, so we did that. Yeah, their parents were so great, too. Like, when we did our consultation, like, we hadn't even started working together yet. Both the dogs were in a prong just in, in their house. I didn't ask about it because I didn't feel the need to be confrontational, just at a consultation. But they did say like, so we have them on these collars. The breeder told us to have them on. And so both these dogs had just been in a prong like all day, every day for their whole lives. It was like once they heard that they didn't need to have it on, like it wasn't me preaching at them to take it off. But like once they heard we don't have to do this, they just immediately took the the collars off. Like it was like they had never heard that you can work with your dog without hurting it. Well, but I wonder, too, like, was that confusing for the dogs that, like, they've always been worked with a specific way and then one day you just take it off completely? If it was, it didn't seem like it. <laughs> yeah. They seemed they seemed pretty happy. We also changed pretty much everything about their lives. Like, they got yeah. a bunch of new routine and boundaries and all this different stuff. But Yeah, so I guess that kind of made up for the other. Yeah. So the last dog that I wrote down is Max. Max is the love of my life and just a disaster, (laughs) an absolute disaster. So Max's story, he's a German shepherd. He is definitely not well-bred. And then as a puppy, I don't understand this. I hear this a lot. He got kicked out of puppy class because he was too shy. Like. Yeah, that's weird. Why? And I've been hearing this in my, um, in the bungee doodle family group that i'm in like people can post about their dogs and ask questions and stuff like a few people have said their puppy class trainer has like made them feel bad because their puppy is shy (laughs) i'm like 
that's the whole fucking point of like being in puppy class is to like socialize. Yeah, that's bizarre. Yeah. And so so his mom just kind of didn't know and took this at face value was like, oh, well, he's too shy for things. And so he like just didn't socialize with anything. And then right. he grew into a full grown German shepherd and he's just completely 100% unsocialized. That all led him to being reactive to everything, like everything in the whole world on leash and off. He's not confident in his environment. He's like a pretty pessimistic dog. When he comes across new things, he assumes that they're bad. Um, so working with him on leash reactivity was less about showing him what to do like it was with Vlad and Misha and Piper and Ruger and every other dog that I've ever worked with. <laughs> and it was more about showing him that everything was okay. So working with him meant like taking... 10 minutes to interact with a stack of wood pallets that made him freak out or like (laughs) 10 minutes to pass a log that (laughs) literally happened once like there was a log on our walk and he hated it and so we just worked until he was like oh it's just a log so we did work him with Mooney and Balto like I do most of my clients but it wasn't because he was specifically dog reactive they were just their you know dogs are part of everything and he was scared of everything I don't know how to end that story but that's Max Well, so, but, like, I was always confused by Max because you were never really working with his owner, right? You were just taking him out? Oh, I started working with his owner, and then there there came a point where I, quote-unquote, fired her because I, I recommended rehoming the dog. Oh, okay. If she listens to this, like, she, she knows, like, how I feel. Like, this is not going to be news to her. Yeah. Well, I was just confused because I was, like... To me, as I understood it, which is obviously not not the case, but I was like, so she still can't walk her dog. Yeah. Because she's incapable. And it's like, so at what point, why wouldn't you like put him in a prong or something opposed to him just never getting out? Yeah. So I quote unquote fired that client from training and then she hired me to take him on outings. And so it was like, if he's going to get out of the house once a week or not at all I'll, I'll pick once a week yeah but there was a point that i was like listen if you can't do these things and um if you're not willing to do this and that and the other this is where we're going to plateau like we're going to level out here and he's not going to get better and so there's the situation she decided to have me keep coming back and taking him out on walks but we weren't training at that point um i was just kind of okay. taking him out yeah um, so she just didn't want to rehome him or he just, it would have been a really hard rehome. She, she didn't want or to. Both. And I get it. I get it. Yeah. It would be very yeah. hard for me too. But I think that, that it would have been a good thing to do. <laughs> but she's absolutely like, it's coming from this place in her heart where she just loves this dog and like can't bear to see it go. So like, I get it. Yeah. But, um, it's not what I would do. So um, but you, I mean, you, you got him to the point where with you, he wouldn't react to other dogs, right? For the most part. Um, he's, he still would stack. Um, and so we had to be careful. Like if we got, if we passed a couple dogs, it was like, okay, we should call it a day. Or if, if, if it was like a particularly busy day at the park, I just wouldn't go to the park. You know, it wasn't like we could just do whatever. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cause I just remember, I don't remember what the scenario was. I just remember getting a message from you that was like, oh, my God, we were at the park and we saw dogs and he didn't care. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if it was the park or it was a walk or something, but I just remember getting a message being like, he didn't even look at him. (laughs) Well, there was I I was trying to get her to at least be able to walk him around his neighborhood. So we were like trying to work on the triggers in his neighborhood with her. This was like when we were still training. 
And one of the big triggers was there's a house on the block that always had their dogs outside and the dogs were always barking. And there was a point where we could walk past that house and he wouldn't he wouldn't look. So that was like a really big win for us. Yeah. This episode was was kind of a lot. And obviously you can't really train your dog based on just this information. But hopefully it was at least interesting to listen to. And if you have a reactive dog, hopefully it gives you a little bit of hope that you can work with the trainer. So all of that information was to just let you know, yeah, that there's hope for working with leash reactivity. And also every every leash reactive dog is going to be different. And so you really want to find a professional to help you sort out your specific issues. Yeah, I would say unless your dog is pretty mild, uh, don't try to train reactivity yourself. <laughs> yeah. Just don't. It's very nuanced. But, yeah, I would just say, um, one, if you have questions about reactivity, please send them to us because we are going to do a Q&A at some point and we are going to do more episodes on reactivity. So, but yeah, I would just say start from the beginning and really evaluate, like, if your dog's getting enough mental and physical and where their obedience and their leash work is at. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I think that about wraps it up. Our sixth episode is ready to be let out of the kennel. You can find me on Instagram at Miss Lily's Dogs or on my website, MissLilysDogs.com or my online training platform, Patreon.com slash Dogs. And you can find me on Instagram at ProperPuppersLV and my website, ProperPuppersLV.com. In our next episode, we'll be drinking sangria margaritas and talking about hiking with your dog. Next time on the Doggeritaville podcast. Thanks for listening to Doggeritaville. Send us an email at doggeritaville at gmail.com. Or send us a DM on Instagram at doggeritaville. And let us know if there are any topics you'd like to see covered. Or if there are any margaritas you want us to try. And don't forget to leave us a review. Until next time, give your dog a treat from us. <laughs>